and welcome back to Girls Like You, the premier Barbie movie review podcast. Today we are discussing the creme de la creme, absolute best Barbie movie of all time, Barbie as the Princess and the Popper, singing in her first movie musical that came out in 2004. Oh, wow. 2004. That's a, that was a long time ago. But mm-hmm. my favorite movie of all time. I mean, I say yeah. it's the best one ever made, but that's just my opinion. It's a it aged beautifully. Film. It's a perfect film, I, in my opinion. That's it. That's all we do. That's all it is. Okay, guys. Okay. Uh, see you guys next time. Uh, send us emails at our... Uh, Okay, guys, uh, we ended the podcast here, but I, Lily, for the next 45 minutes, I'm going to discuss uh, my favorite nail polish colors. And I will be reading the entire Priminger Wat Pad fan fiction story. <laughs> oh, no. That, should be, that will be a special episode, us narrating some uh, Barbie movies. <laughs> like, after we fiction. do all the movies, then we're just reading Barbie fan fiction live. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what the Depends on the fanfic. <laughs> It's clean fan fiction only. This is not an yeah. explicit podcast. You can no, go we don't need that. E. that. <laughs> Our only fans is where we read the dirty stuff. Okay, so <laughs> to start off <laughs> the plot summary, um, if you've never seen Barbie Princess and the Popper, there's something wrong with you. What are you doing? But anyways, we'll go through the plot for those who need a little refresher or who you know have never never heard it. And hey, keep it on YouTube. These are very easy to, to pirate from YouTube, so that's where we watch all our Barbie movies. Commit um, a should... federal crime to watch this movie. You can also rent most of them on YouTube if you yeah. want to be uh, giving the people who made it their royalties and not breaking the law. <laughs> okay, so to start off on this dreamlike montage, uh, two baby girls who are identical in every way except for their hair color, a blonde princess and a and brunette the copper. Yes, and the, the princess has a crown-shaped birthmark that is important to the plot later. They're born at the same time. The brunette is very poor, and her parents are indentured servants, and the blonde girl is, of course, a princess. So we open the movie after this little flashback. The blonde princess, Annalise, is uh, betrothed to the wealthy King Dominic, but really she's in love with her tutor, Julian. Erica is still an indentured servant after her parents have passed away working at the royal seamstress, Madame Carps. And it's important to note that Princess Annalise's kingdom is flat baroque. They don't got money no more, and so she needs to go marry Prince Dominic to get that sweet, sweet cash. Cha-ching! And then Erica has always been broke, so she doesn't care one way or the other because she's just a byproduct of a crumbling economy where the ruling class doesn't seem to care at all about its working class. Oh, and there's cats. They They both have cats. They both have cats, and they both feel trapped in their lives. Like, they can't make any decisions for themselves, but one is a princess and one is an indentured servant. So, you know, it's the same problem. They, Same they, they can relate. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the, the, the events of the movie are started off when uh, Julian, Princess Annalise's handsome tutor, who she is in love with, decides to take her out for one day of freedom into the town of the kingdom uh, before she has to marry King Dominic. There she hears a beautiful voice singing and discovers it's Erica, the indentured servant. Uh, they listen to her beautiful singing, but then Madame Carp, her evil boss and the head of the royal 
stitchery comes and takes all her money like the man and uh, leaves Erica with nothing. But they discover they look identical and uh, Annalise invites Erica to journey to the palace. Now what I skipped over before was that we are introduced to the villain Preminger. He's a royal advisor to the queen who's been away gathering his fortune by stealing from the royal mines. So while he's been becoming rich, he's been bankrupting his own country, and his plot is to marry Princess Annalise and take over the kingdom. But he did not know that she was now engaged to King Dominic. The queen had made this arrangement without consulting him. He's devastated. So conspires to instead kidnap Princess Annalise until King Dominic thought she had run away and then return her to the kingdom and marry her himself. It's a very elaborate plan where that is definitely not foolproof, but I guess he's just going with it. Also, this movie is just a good reason why your government should not rely on the gold standard to which its currency is held, because things like this can happen. But before Erica can come to the palace and sing or whatever Annalise was promising, Annalise gets kidnapped. Oh, no, by, by Preminger and taken far, far away, which is bad because hunky, hunky, rich daddy Prince Dominic is coming to the palace. But we, but we don't know that yet because it's a, it's a man who says he's not Prince Dominic. Yeah, so there's this whole subplot where King Dominic likes to pretend to be other people <laughs> so because he can learn like the true nature of his, of his love. You can't trust anyone when you're royalty. Oh, yeah. You have to make me like, I don't want her to be a gold digger, except she very clearly is. Because if you look at this economy, like in the background, people are like boarding up their shops. People are starving. No one is happy in this kingdom. But Julian, the, the tutor mentioned earlier, is like, okay. We are in lockdown. We need to figure out a plan because this is about to go bad. Everyone's about to starve and be broke if we can't marry Prince Dominic. So he thinks of the brilliant plan. Let me get that poor girl from earlier and take her to the palace. And she can pretend to be Annalise, which is good because he conveniently has a blonde wig to put her in. <laughs> so it all works out. So it's going to be the old switcheroo where Erica pretends to be Annalise. What? Yeah, and he teaches her how to be a princess, and she's a little nervous about it, but it's okay. She meets Dominic, and he's, well, unknowingly, right? Because he's a page, and they're, like, all panting in the, like, throne room. And Julian is sensing that something's up with Preminger, because he seems to be a little put out by seeing Annalise, right? Because he thinks that she's kidnapped. But then as Priminger walks away, Julian picks up like a piece of like a tree, like, like, not like, like a needle from like a pine tree. And he's like, what is he doing in the whatever woods? So then he pursues Priminger. Like, let it be known the entire time, Priminger is always in the background recoiling in shock and menacingly walking around. So the fact that Julian, the genius that he is, is the first person to pick up on, you know what, why are we trusting this guy is astounding to me. Yeah, where did he get a massive fortune that happens to equal the fortune of the kingdom is missing? He makes noises like, and a leaf. Dominic. 
So Julian follows Preminger into the woods and discovers a cabin where his evil henchman, Nick and Nack, also two identical people with blonde and brown hair. I think they deserved their own little song about that. Uh, are keeping the princess captive. There's uh, also a horse named Henry. He's also important. Anyways, look, the lady cat tries to help the horse get the princess out of the cabin and she gets out of the cabin and she goes back to the kingdom and Julian goes to the cabin and he gets himself darn kidnapped and that comes back later but Annalise is leaving towards the kingdom but they're like uh-uh I can't come in here we already have the princess so you identical person to the princess get out of here we're not gonna question this so she ends up back in the village and Madame Carp who for whatever reason thinks that Erica's left and got her hair bleached and is like Erica who clearly doesn't look like Erica and is wearing a different dress and I wouldn't know where Erica could get this dress come back to the place where I indentured servitude you and make dresses which you clearly can't do <laughs> so Annalise is hanging out with Erica's friend who's also a seamstress um and then Serafina who's her cat the lady cat comes and finds her and then Annalise puts her special pink ring on her collar with a tag from Madame Carps and she's like someone will come find me um, and sends Serafina off back to the castle um and meanwhile that's when Dominic is like sneaking in on Erica while she's taking a bath. He, he doesn't come into the room, but he like puts his ear next to the door and kind of like cracks it open. And he's like, Princess Annalise. Um, while she sings to her cat, Wolfie, about why she loves him, even though he barks. And it's a really heartwarming moment that's made a little less heartwarming by Dominic creepily being like, mm, lady in a bathtub. Yeah, as a child, I was like, oh no, he's going to see her brown hair. And as an adult, I'm like, He's going to see her in the bathtub. What is he doing? <laughs> yes, and so after this, Erica and King Dominic uh, get to spend time together, and they sing a love song. And while that happens, a montage plays of them walking through uh, a meadow. And he picks out the color flower she likes that's not pink, it's blue, because she's Erica and not Annalise. Uh, so everything has to divide it, be divided up by color. And they, they fall in love, but then she is shortly revealed to not be the princess and is found out and thrown in the dungeon. Bah, bah, bah. Meanwhile, Primager hey. finds the ring that Annalise sent Lady Cat with. And she's like, he's like, ah, I know where she is. So he goes and snatches up Annalise and puts her in the mines with Julian, which is where Julian is. And they're together now in the mines, kidnapped. Oh, no. And then Priminger, as we mentioned, figures out that Erica's not Annalise. So he goes off to the dungeon with her and has a brilliant plan, which should have been the plan, like, to begin with, where he's like, okay, queen your husband is dead your daughter is maybe presumed dead you've got your country is bankrupt you got no other option tis me priminger time to get married and she's just like 
I guess. It also seems to be the first time she realizes that Primager is, like, very evil as he, like, menacingly pets her dead husband's, like, like crown like (laughs) and like sheer terror just goes over her face as she realized oh no I really shouldn't have employed this man there were no warning signs until this very moment anyways cut back to the mines no is it the dungeon or the mines that happened first oh they kind of happened simultaneously simultaneously the, the, the Annalise and Julian used their smarts and realized there are geodes in the rocks that they thought were nothing. And then they make water happen and they fill, get in a barrel and they get out of the mines. <laughs> they float to the surface. And while yeah. that's happening, Erica's in the dungeon and she sings so pretty. The guard falls asleep and he gets a key. She gets a key. Yeah, so she gets the key from the sleeping guard and she unlocks it and she's running. And then she runs into this other guard and she's like, let go of me. And then he reveals his face mask (laughs) to King Dominic. And she's like, why are you helping me? And he's like, I don't believe you are who Preminger says you are, Um, which he called her like a lying thief. So yeah, so then like they run out of the dungeon to the queen and Preminger's wedding. Might I mention Preminger gets his own little white wedding outfit and the bride or the bride, yeah, just gets veil, no no dress. But the queen is not having it. She does not want to get married to this man. <laughs> yes. So Erica and Dominic are together and out of the dungeon. Uh, Annalise and Julian are out of the dungeon. The queen is about to say, I do. She turns away. She can't even bear to look at a, a ring being put on her finger. <laughs> he smiles at himself evilly in his hand mirror that he brought to the altar. And then all of the heroes burst onto the scene and say, stop, don't marry my mother. You're evil. And the queen is like, Annalise, is that really you? And she pulls down her sleeve slightly so you can see her birthmark on her upper arm. And it is you, and they say Preminger's evil, and he tries to escape. And uh, the the two male leads, who had never met each other until that point, nod at each other and jump on their respective horses <laughs> to chase after him. But in the end, it is Hervé, Preminger's own horse, who had been helping him all this time, who decides to buck him off and leave him to be imprisoned. The girls also do their part. They stop Nick and Knack from escaping. And then the two cats stop Preminger's heretofore unmentioned evil dog. <laughs> with a, he's got, oh, he's a poodle with a bouffant, a gold tooth, and a Jersey accent. It's a lot. And finally, oh, oh God, there's like an epilogue. Okay. So everyone's in love, but Erica needs to go and pursue her dream. And Dominic respects that because he is a woke king, literally. She goes off to sing and then realizes that uh, sometimes being free means coming home. And they reunite uh, in the garden. And then we cut to the double wedding of Annalise and Julian and Erica and Dominic. And it's happily ever after. And the two the cats had the pink and blue butterflies fly away into the darkness. Okay. All right. And then the kingdom is not bankrupt anymore because they have geodes now. Yes. Yeah. And I guess those are equivalent to gold, yeah. I guess. But I the kingdom is saved. I so think the idea was that it was supposed to be like amethyst. Yeah. But truly, it was like they opened a boardwalk geode shop. <laughs> it just became like one big tourist attraction and make their money that way. That's a kingdom that's located in the middle of nowhere. 
I mean, it's unassuming on the outside, but a treasure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad, though, the economy of that kingdom is the thing I'm most concerned about the entire film. I appreciate the depth of the plot because, like, a lot of the Barbie movies are like, oh, we have to, like, do this thing. And, like, you know, it's a pretty linear, like, mission. But this is like, you know, there's a lot of characters and there's a lot of different storylines and there's a lot of like everything like reasonably makes sense. And it's also like one of the only Barbie movies that doesn't have any sort of magic in it. So like everything is like ha that happens, you know, with, that, you know, with respect to like, you know, two girls looking almost exactly the same. Everything is like pretty much plausible that it happens and there's animals? not the like ex machina <laughs> where it's like, oh, magic. No, I think. I, that there's just like so much that goes on in that film like in a good way that it doesn't like when it's like when you're trying to explain it to someone it sounds like it makes no sense but when you watch it it's like yes this is t it's kind of like a fever dream like in the moment you're like yes of course this makes complete sense but then like when you're trying to tell someone about it later you're like okay but then there's also a poodle that has a jersey accent and a fake tooth and that's like a whole thing <laughs> he's really concerned about losing his tooth yeah that's yeah yeah, <laughs> didn't see of it all. It's just consistent, like character, like Dominic continually likes to dress up as other things, and then that comes back to play later when he dresses up as a guard, and it's like, oh yeah, that's pre-established character traits that come up again. Like no one does anything out of character. Yeah, Julian is yeah. creepily obsessed with Annalise and knows her ways. She sends her stationery, her favorite flower, and has a wig of her ready to go. <laughs> Like, at any time, he has this blonde wig prepared. It was not made for Erica. It existed before Erica. What if Julian was planning to abduct the princess the whole time, and he was like, ah, shoot, Preminger beat me to it first? Maybe Annalise is not a natural blonde, and she's actually Erica's twin that was separated at birth. Ooh, and she just, because she had a crown birthmark, they're like, well, we'll make this one the princess. And tell everyone it's the royal birthmark, because it's she's yeah. a crown. And, well, that would make sense because Erica's parents were poor. The king and queen bought the baby from them. They're like, you're poor. Here's money. Give us your baby. Oh, but we got to talk about the, the class, um, how class is represented in this movie because wow. they kind of crap all over poor people, which, it's I mean, it's based off of the prince and the pauper. And the whole idea yeah. is, like, each class has their own struggles and rules that you have to abide by. But, I mean, really in this, like, okay, well, the, the kingdom is going bankrupt, but the princess is living in a beautiful castle, yeah. getting breakfast in bed with her fancy dresses, and everyone in the movie who doesn't live in the castle is literally starving in the street. I think like, if it wasn't for the geodes and Prince Dominic, this has given me real, like, Romanovs or, you know, last days of France kind of, like, vibes, like, the guillotines were coming. Every time they were in the village, there was someone boarding up a new shop. Yeah. I know, and then Annalise, like, looks at them sad, and she's like, oh, poverty. I've never <laughs> seen poverty. Are these the poor folk? It's strange. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, it's a good, good that they had something to revitalize their economy or at least extend their rule a little longer because historically, they have a very large, like, working class that isn't being treated well from madam cart we can see an intense bourgeoisie and then a small small royal family that seems to be lavishly living while its people starves 
they are lucky, let me just tell you, because Princess and the Popper 2 may have gone very dark. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, the comment when they meet, and they're, like, talking about their lives and stuff, and then Erica's like, at least you're not an indentured servant. <laughs> like, I'm savoring a first and last taste of freedom before getting married next week to a total stranger. At least you're not an indentured servant. Is it called like I'm uh, girl like girls like you? Yeah, that's our. Yes, that's like the name of our podcast. Girl, like, 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 <laughs> ah! I was like, wait, what's the name of it? I hear it all the time. Oh, it's Oz. It, that entire song is Annalise going. My life's so hard. Breakfast comes to me in bed, and I can't marry my tutor. And then Erica's like, "My parents died impoverished, and I took other debt, and I am practically a slave, and I starve all day." But okay, we're, I'm just like you. You're just like me. We have responsibility. I mean, the whole song exists to make Annalise feel better about being so filthy rich. Yeah, I'm like, right. it's not well, that Annalise is in any way, like, it's like, it's just a strange framing as if they're both equally, like, bad problems. And then as the audience, you're like, okay, but no, one is very mm-hmm. much not that bad. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, like, I would, like, you know, everyone has their own problems, and that's okay and that's That's like you know it's not like you know we talk about like first world problems like you know oh I don't have enough chips for my dip or whatever but like you know things still happen to people even though they might not be like you know like we shouldn't like dismiss people's problems because they're not like there's always going to be someone worse off than you and there's always going to be someone better off than you but yeah it does like Putting them next to each other in this song does <laughs> like kind of like rub it in. Like, oh yeah, I get breakfast to bed, and you know, I just dance around my room in my dress. But the line that gets me is she's like, and imagine she Annalise imagines life without the strife of an unfamiliar groom. <laughs> I'm like. life without the strife of poverty <laughs> or food yeah. like oh i wish i wasn't starving all the time but okay or that my parents were alive well i just oh. think of like in terms of maslow's like hierarchy of needs like uh, we're just talking about basic like safety here uh shelter like physiological needs aren't being met enough food probably not enough water and then Please go up to safety needs. I mean, she probably doesn't feel safe living in a in the in the town where everyone is. Clearly, yeah. Madame Carp is abusive. Like, that's yeah, she's awful. Mm-hmm. And then also, I guess we get to belongingness and love. So Annalise is about halfway up. Yeah, and I would I would prefer not to marry someone I don't love yeah. or even know. <laughs> well, like so. what's about that is arguably, I mean, if we're just thinking like in history and like the thing, the role of the ruling class is like they don't have many like jobs, but that is kind of their existing purpose is to unite kingdoms through like marriage and then bloodlines and like combine, you know, that's like the purpose of having a ruling class in a very like broad sense. So I'm like, Annalise, that is your basic job is to exist as a woman in this time frame. is that if it comes to problems of empire or war, we cannot, we can avoid it, or poverty, we can avoid it by marrying you off. Like, it sucks, lady, but it's your job. And Dominic's a catch. He likes to wear fun costumes, and he's 
likes cats. Why does he play the trumpet, the something, and the piano? He plays the trumpet, the harpsichord, and the dulcimer. Which is funny because his kingdom is called Dulcinea, and I wonder if they named it after his dulcimer abilities. Love them so much. He's a good boy. Okay, and like I'm glad it works out for them in the end. But on like if they had never met, and this is an alternate timeline, like it sucks. No one likes to marry, but you could have still kept Julian on as a concubine because your marriage would. Oh no! It would be a purely like financial. Ma- I'm just saying, in the reality of how the ruling class worked in this period in Europe. Their marriage wouldn't be real. Clearly, Annalise would still spend most of her time within her kingdom and Dominic would go back to his dulcimer playing land and they would have very loose correspondence with each other in a very loose framework of marriage. So it's not like her and Julia would be completely off the table. I mean, King Dominic's a nice dude. I think he would have been okay with it. Like, yeah, we'll have a marriage for political reasons. And then we'll just do our own things in our own castles, like in our own time. Like, gotta follow the love. Exactly. Like, I'm just, look, I'm just, I'm from the history basis here. Yeah, so I think we we agree <laughs> overall. Being an indentured servant is a little worse than having to marry someone you don't know. But both can be bad. I would rather go through hard times with someone that I love than live the high life with someone that I don't get along with, you know? You know what? I'm going to put it out there, Alyssa. This may be controversial. I'd rather be rich and not be loved (laughs) than be starving and loved. I'm just going to, you know what? I can deal with, I'll put up with his his harpsichord and just be like, you know what? (laughs) I would say generally I agree with Alyssa, but in the specific situation where your options are King Dominic versus Madame Carp. I'm going to go with King Dominic. In an emotional and in the good person in me, I want to agree with Alyssa, but I'm really a priminger at heart in which I will. <laughs> Let it be known the original concept art for our podcast that I wanted would be them being Erica and Annalise and me being drawn as priminger, but Lily was like, that will scare the viewers and copyists. <laughs> If enough people uh, subscribe to the podcast and go and support us on our anchor.fm page, <laughs> then we will commission that that artwork featuring Galcia's Preminger. My Preminger painting. Wow. Can we talk about Preminger? Oh, my God. Where do you even begin? Okay. Well, first of all, snaps to Martin Short. Let's, I'm going to snap on my microphone so people can hear. Wow, the performance of a lifetime, talking about chewing the words, chewing the scenery, acting. I mean, you just, you feel the movements. Like, you don't even have to look at the screen to feel what the character is doing because it's all coming out through his voice. He never stops giving 110% to us. There is no off switch for Martin Short as Priminger. He is continually on. Even when he's not speaking or the main focus of a scene, he is what steals the show. I know, like, you just, like, look back at, like, how can I refuse? And, like, how can you refuse? How How can can you refuse refuse? Preminger? And then how can I refuse Reprise, which is really just, like... The same song again, but just, like, better lyrics. (laughs) And more menacing. It's fabulous. It's just... Preminger has a great character. My favorite line from the movie is not like a very well-known one but I think it's from the reprise of how can I refuse and he's talking to the queen and he goes au revoir to your foie gras and cheese fondue which is just will your good 
luck has departed and your people soon will starve. Au revoir to your foie gras cheese fondues. Sounds so good. And I had to look it up. The literary, the literary device is called Astonance, where you like rhyme the internal sounds of words. Uh, au revoir to your foie gras and cheese fondue. It's, it's so good. And it just makes him seem so... <laughs> evil and he has a very a very funny way of talking this man oh yeah he like like a particular emphasis on certain syllables of what he says and it just like gets me like in the song he's just like when he like realizes that Annalise is like or no Annalise is betrothed to King Dominic because it's a temporary setback it's a momentary loss Ah, it's a temporary setback. It's a momentary loss. <laughs> As they're like prouncing, and he's like, and it's just the body move. It's like, that's the whole thing. Like combined with the animation, it's like, it's just like moving his shoulders so aggressively and Nick and Nako in the background, like mimic. It's so good. And like, he's just so aggressively evil. Like he just oozes with like, being menacing but also he's very much not like he's this elderly man <laughs> very know. short very tall shoes also all of his sentences in with his, like the going up in his voice it's like Whoa! <laughs> it's just so great it's just so good yeah ah, like when he bends off attitude <laughs> exactly or like when he sends off um erica and he's like the dungeon <laughs> he like chews on it and he's like Ugh. and he like revels in it he's like yes <laughs> he's well, just so happy being him it's great as Annalise's cat likes to say he is nasty just like his dog <laughs> just like I, I dare Disney to create a better villain than Priminger because there is not a better villain than him uh, I, I mean his plans are ridiculous but yet you know, you kind of want it to win you're like you know what i want you to kidnap this practical teenager and then find pretend to save her and then her just i don't know agree to marry you right I and it's like <laughs> and he's a pretty consistent character because most of his plans just have to do with stealing something that belongs to the queen and then giving it back to her and he's like hi i'm the hero now <laughs> Which is why I just feel like the, his last plan he comes to should have been planned numero uno, in which it's, oh, the queen's husband is dead and she is poor. I am alive and rich and also we are friends. Huh, maybe this could be the plan. But I just, it just takes him so long to get to what I would have been like, where I would have been at, like, immediately. Like, honestly, I would have killed the queen's husband. Maybe he did. I don't know, but that's immediately what I would have been doing, being like, oh, she's lonely and poor. I am rich and not, and also here. Let's go for that. I would not have gone too straight, oh, let me seduce her young daughter by, like, kidnapping her. Like, it's, it's a very confusing plan. Yeah, I don't know how he thought he was going to be found out as a kidnapper because his henchmen are, like, at his wedding to the queen. Like, was he just going to have his henchmen around and then Annalise wouldn't eventually figure out they were the people who kidnapped her after she saw their faces? They have very distinct voices. <laughs> they are identical to each other. 
it's I just it, it it for how smart of a man he is, he had some fallback like ideas that were not very good. <sighs> yeah, Nick and Mac were kind of unreliable. You right. Um, the queen decided to marry off to the king of Dalsinia. Next week. What? Making a decision without me? Who does she think she is? Oh, the queen? You simpering simpleton! Oh, well, she is the queen. She's got a crown and a scepter and sits in her big fancy chair. And always got all yeah, like, I, I like how he talks. He's like, you simpering simpleton! <laughs> That's an iconic line. Like, I would quote it all the time and not realize that it was from Barbie Princess and the Popper. I almost feel like Nick and Mac are like his nephews and like his brother was like, look, they need a job. Could you just hire them? They're not very smart. So like they're family and he feels obligated, but he realizes he probably should get better henchmen. But, you know, it's nepotism. What are you going to do? I feel like the the Priminger fanfic has a good reason for how they met, but (laughs) we have to read it to make sure. I took a little peruse at it before we started filming. And let me tell you, some of the writing is just phenomenal especially if you read young Priminger's voice in Priminger's in Martin Short's voice it's very it's really good do you have that pulled up could you give us a sample oh I definitely do <clears throat> this is the part I just enjoyed because it explained uh who is a seems to be a eight-year-old Priminger um also, let it be known, Perminger comes from a poor world, and it is described that before he could speak, he had felt the sting of death at eight years old. At <laughs> eight, he didn't speak. So this is his father speaking, and he goes, one day, Perminger, his father would say to him on the nights he had the energy to speak, you will leave this farm. And then young eight-year-old Perminger goes, but I don't want to leave the farm. Primager would say, innocent sparkling in his honey-colored eyes, who would help you care for it? His father would chuckle softly beneath his breath and take Primager into his arms, his large calloused hands resting in the boy's platinum hair, which is lovely because it presumes that Primager has always looked like an elderly man. (laughs) Don't worry about me or the farm, son. We will be far away from this place. Will we have a castle, father? His father smiled, watery blue eyes reflecting the lonely candle flame on the table. We will have whatever you want. We will live in the castle and we will have servants and cooks and we will eat dessert before dinner whenever you'd like. It's just (laughs) very intense. You know, I feel like I really am starting to understand why Preminger is the way he is now. I like how the standard of wealth is that they will eat dessert before dinner. They're a dessert-based economy. And then it seems as if his father dies when he's 10 years old, from what I can see. It takes well, a very I like part. how this story continues the fetishization of poverty started in the source material. really keeps the theme consistent throughout. really makes me feel like I'm still in the universe that we started exactly. in. Exactly. By chapter three, three, his father's dead, and it, it begins with the events of his father's deaths pass by for Primager in a haze, as if he doesn't really remember any of it. It just kind of existed. And it's just very strange to me. Like, I enjoyed this backstory. So I highly recommend Pain of the Past, a Preminger fan fiction by Emo Chicken on Wattpad. I gotta go see Wattpad for the best in Barbie movie fan fiction. We highly recommend it. Thinking maybe after we finish all the movies, we'll go and we'll do some fan fiction readings on the podcast. (laughs) 
It's very good. It seems to be as if his father's last words were, you're going to rule this land one day, Priminger. They'll try and stop you. The whole world will push against you, but you stand your ground and climb to the top. And I I like this. I, I want to rewatch Princess and the Pauper with this new perspective that Priminger's like mission in life was given to him by his dying father. And he's like, so really when he's listening to, singing how like, can, I refuse. He's also thinking, this is it, Father. I'm finally fulfilling our goal. They will be king, Father. Maybe our Barbie Princess and the Pauper musical should be called Preminger and should be like Hamilton, but for Preminger's past. Yes. Somebody call the Tonys. We have their next award winner. Broadway is dying. Everyone is lost. So we could just come in with a musical, like last minute. There's nothing else to be nominated. This is, <laughs> this is all that's there for Broadway to take. How much would it cost to put together a Broadway show and put it up <laughs> in New York? We can do this on very little budget, I feel. It'd be fine. Yeah. Well, we've been talking student, about yeah. for years putting together a Barbie Princess and the Popper musical. It's perfect for it. Like, it's all built for it. I, it's already The music is, is great. It's very theatrical. I think it's interesting, mm-hmm. too. It's not, like, overly repetitive. And I think they do a lot of clever stuff with the lyrics. My issue yeah. with putting together a musical, obviously, I want to explore that our, our boys, Dominic and Julian, in depth some more, learn more about them, you know, really build up the, the past, two of the kingdom's money problems, where all that came from. But how are we going to do the cat romance subplot? Are we going to cut out Serafina and Wolfie? Well, I feel like Serafina is pretty crucial to the plot. You'd have to, like, rework things because she, like, is the one that, like, leads, you know, leads to her kidnapping twice, I guess. Um, <laughs> um, but, like, I don't know. I feel like it would be okay with puppets, though the yeah. thing is, like, do you make them talk? I guess, like, you can't have the the um, Wolfie song without Wolfie barking, but, yeah, but you, could you can do like an Avenue Q thing where like <laughs> you can see their faces and like, but they're all wearing black. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's what Disney does for their like animal sidekick is like, they'll just have like somebody in a black morph suit and a puppet. Also, this is something that disturbed me, but we can bring it in because there is a horse character. If you looked up at the Tangled like musical they do live like for dinner shows, they have a human being who stands within this Maximus costume and it's very terrifying, but I would like us to have that. It's like in some versions of Into the Woods how they have Milky White be like a person in a cow shirt. Uh, yeah. Well, I think of like Anastasia, which I saw when it came to Nashville on tour. Not Asheville. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, But I saw the tour of Anastasia, and I was really bummed when they cut out Rasputin and the bat, and because, you know, In the Dark of the Night is another one of the animated villain songs. It's so good. So how are they going to replace that? But I loved what they did with Gleb. There was no, Master, we have to get the girl. Master, your eye. That's so Master, good. you're falling apart to pieces. Oh, no, Master, you've gone too far. So is this the face of a bat who would lie to you? Come on, for a minute there, you had your old spark bat. Before that. <laughs> Catch 
Kelsey in her career as a animated character impressionist comedian. Missed. <laughs> so good. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm related. I guess Princess of the Popper makes me think of it, but Princess of the Popper, Anastasia, and Cuesta Camelot. Let me tell you, if you're looking for a great trio of movies on a night, we have done that one multiple times, and it gets great. <laughs> yeah, it's pour yourself a glass of filtered water, eat a bowl of cherries, pull out the sleeper sofa, and pop oh, in your the VHS tape. water, the sleeper sofa, the ends of Cuesta Camelot, let me tell you. Yeah, like really underappreciated. I'm really glad that Barbie movies are having this kind of renaissance right now because, you know, so long they've been ignored. Or I would tell people that we were having a Barbie movie watch party and they're like, why are you doing that? Um, but I it's I think it's with a sense of comfort. And then it's fun to like revisit you these from your childhood and critique their quality, you know? They're good. Like, there's like, I'm not, it's not like they're like the best movies ever made, or like, well, I think Princess on the Popper for sure is, but you know, as we go through them, but there is just something very charming about them in which you don't get in a lot of other children's like media. Like, it's, it's very, like, there's nothing equivalent to it. It's very hard to explain that there's just something very lovely about them. And I feel like Princess on the Popper is like one that has such mass appeal because it's almost like all the qualities that, like are good from all the others put together and then made like the best it possibly can. But mm-hmm. I just, I enjoy that princess and Papa Cause if you look up any like video on YouTube, if someone's saying they're watching a Barbie movie, they're normally watching princess and the Popper Cause it's the one most people know, but like, I'm glad people it's there because it's good. Like it's a little good little gateway into the world because they're all, they all have a weird little charm to them. We wouldn't do a podcast where we talk about them for hours on end if there wasn't something to them. <laughs> But it makes you want to discuss it and like you bring it up to someone you're like oh my god I totally forgot about that from my childhood it's a sense of nostalgia and even though I'm sure they're ostensibly intended to like sell merchandise or whatever they've kind of like became their own merchandise where people want to purchase all these different films and watch them or stream them on Netflix I don't know I think for me like I've always (laughs) I I was raised very gender neutral uh, but I tended towards more like feminine things and I feel like Barbie movies are almost like a celebration of that of of girly things um but Mm -hmm. still being like a strong character yeah there's no not like other girls in Barbie movies no everyone like there's a character for everybody throughout all of the movies you're gonna (laughs) relate to one of them like I watched like a good analysis of Disney's Cinderella not too long ago and it was like a good like reminder that like I think like a lot of the times now like you know there's a tendency to portray women as like someone who's like kick butt and like strong and like you know invisibly like bold um which is like good and nothing's wrong with that but I think there's also like a goodness of like portraying women in like normally like or in like very feminine qualities like being gentle and kind and like nurturing and there's like a grace to that and like they talked about in Cinderella how that was like a very bold of her because she lived in like such an abusive household um that like that was her way of like um kind of like sticking it to the man is like showing them kindness and compassion when they like you know berate her all the time which like we you could see like in sorry I made your boat Phillips um <laughs> you could do that in like Rapunzel where she like 
serves the gospel and she's like literally her servant and like you know it just takes it um but takes it like with dignity and like knows that she's not she's not a pushover but like you know she respects her and um treats her with kindness even though like gospel is like you know the worst but i just also i love when girls are allowed to be both feminine like you don't have to be like the nerdy tomboy girl but you can also be a smart like I love yeah. when Annalise figures out she can <laughs> fill up the the cave uh slash mine they're trapped in with water and floats to the top in a barrel or uh figures out that because she's been doing all her rock identifying she <laughs> can use the geode so like the or the feminine qualities and like those things become strengths and not just like something she has to overcome, which I love. It reminds me of like, I always loved Daphne and yeah. Scooby-Doo. And I, I love Velma too, but I love Daphne because especially in the, the series from the early 2000s, she would always be like using bobby pins in her hair dryer to like jerry rig things and get them out of, um, get them out of tight spaces. And I just love that idea that things that are like girls can get made fun of for being too girly for or whatever, using that kind of stuff to not only do like sciencey engineering things, but to like shove it in people's faces. I just, I just love that. What's also mm-hmm. nice, especially like in all the Barbie movies is how much like, and even like see this in mean comparison, like to like, you know, with these Disney as a big property to compare this to like the Barbie is always, or the Barbie like standing characters are always in charge of their narrative. Like very rarely, mostly the like love interest is like the secondary character. And normally in a lot of media, you'd see the love interest be a female secondary character. But in all Barbie movies, it's always the guy who, and he's often, she's in the position in which she helps him out through her own skills. Like it's very, I don't know. It's very, that's like just a nice dynamic to show. Cause I feel like Barbie gets like a lot of criticism as a company where it's like, Oh, but I'm like, What's so lovely about Barbie is Ken is never the focus of the conversation. Like, it's always about Barbie as, you know, in the princess and the popper, or Barbie as the nutcracker, you know, and the guys are always just kind of like, you know, you'll see it through a theme, like with each movie, it's the Barbie character who normally ends up being the reason, like saving the day at the end. It's not the Ken stand-in, which I just think is important to show that, you know, it, for the reasons you're saying, like they're able to be the hero in their narratives using their like, maybe traditionally feminine qualities or things that you would not always, you know, put in the idea of being a hero. They are able to use that and like solve their own problems and often get the guy out of a sticky situation. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. Juliet who solved the financial crisis and, you know, figured out how to get out of that. Well, it was Annalise, you know, and inevitably she did end up have to marry Dominic because she found a way to solve it her own way. You know, mm-hmm. and the fact that Erica leaves and has her own dreams at the end. And then it's like, you know what? I've done it, but now I want to go home. And that Dominic is cool with it. It's a good movie. It's got great messages. This is sometimes mm-hmm. being free means choosing not to go, but to stay. Sometimes being free means choosing not to go, but to stay. And you're always free to Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like how like Dominic was very like receptive and respective of or respecting of like her decision to go. Um, like he was like you know he still gave her the his the engagement ring, but she put it like not on her. She put it on her right hand, and he's like, 
or and she's like no promises and he's like i'll take my chances so he like you know he knows that he loves loves her and he'll like be there for her when she comes back but like he isn't like compelling her to do or give up her dreams or like staying with him because he knows that like he knows her and he knows that that's what she needed to do yeah depicting healthy relationships wow snaps for barbie movies I know this one like takes the cake I think for healthy relationships oh yeah this like, is like and it's like they squeeze it in like an hour and 20 minutes I'm like wow that's so great it's so good I love um another example you know you talked about the well and the finale when Erica you know she you know uses her talents her singing and her ingenuity to engineer to make this like hook to well the guard to sleep steal the key sneak out of the cell on her own she totally gets away with it and just happens to bump into Dominic who addressed the present guard to come rescue her. But like, even if he hadn't showed up, she would have gotten away. So she, she did that all on her own and it's just a cute moment for them to maybe have a little romantic moment and to show Dominic's quirkiness <laughs> with his costumes. He's always ready to dress up, which is great. The men of Barbie movies are also not afraid to show off their more, you know, like feminine side. They don't need to be ha- hyper masculine all the time. They're normally very kind and pretty good role models for boys as well, showing, you know, it's good to not go straight to the fighting all the time. Like Dominic and Julian are good male role models as well. You know, how to be sensitive. Also, Julian clearly doesn't like the fact that Annalise is, you know, arranged to be married but he doesn't like harp on her about it like he's not you know you sometimes see these plots where the guys are like i can't believe you're gonna do this to me and it's like she doesn't have a choice in it he's just being supportive and gonna be there for her you know even because he realizes that sometimes you got to do things that aren't just what you want yeah i mean i guess that goes back to the the line that really is the theme for the whole movie which ends up not being the case but they say duty means doing the things your heart may well regret and even though they end up, you know, being able to do what they want, they were willing to make those sacrifices. And so as characters, they earn that from the audience where we're, we're happy that they get to do it because they did, they were willing to make those sacrifices for people. Yeah. And I think that's a good message for young girls too, because like, even just like when you're little, you, it's like, you know, they talk about like the terrible twos and like the kids learn no, and, like, you know, you just say no to everything. And that kind of leads into like, when you're little and you're like, why can't I do what I want? kind of thing and I think that's a good introduction for like little girls watching this is like you know sometimes doing or sometimes you have to do things you don't want to do um because it's like it's the right thing um and it usually like works out for the better at the end even if you don't want to do it like in the moment yeah wow we just got really deep there wow Princess of the Popper is a deep, deep film, man. I mean, I think this film is the root of my love for all Barbie movies. And like you said earlier, um, it combines elements from different ones because all the movies have things that work, things that don't. Uh, one thing that this movie is going for, too, is that the animation is vastly improved over previous and future films. Um, the textures aren't so gross to look at. There's more people and more locations kind of populating the world which I think overall for the viewer is still very pleasing. There's a couple instances where you're kind of like looking at the landscape or when Serafina is like dangling over a cliff and you see the like ravine where you realize there's not really anything around the kingdom. They're just kind of like the sets where (laughs) they go to and then just like flat ground everywhere else. But 
for the large part, I think it does a much better job uh, over other Barbie movies of really populating its universe. Yeah, it's a lot more believable than like some other of the uh, Barbie movies. That's why we're able to have like, such a conversation about it is because there's just so much happening. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of things to kind of get into. Ten out of ten. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's gonna be a classic for me. Yeah, my litmus test for any relationship I have will be to show this film to a prospective suitor, and uh, if he doesn't, you know, go along with it, then you show them both Princess and the Popper and Diamond Castle, and you ask them which is the better film. And if they say Diamond Castle, it's a clear no. But if they say Princess and the Popper, you know it's a win. Shopping block time. <laughs> you can't marry a man who thinks Diamond Castle is superior to Princess and the Popper. Yeah, for real. And, like, I'm usually not a huge fan of, like, the animal sidekick in Barbie movies because sometimes they're a little cringy. Um, but I actually really like both of the cats in this movie. Like, um, don't like Permager's dog. He's a little much for me. But the cats are great, and I love them. But then, like, yeah, when you watch Diamond Castle, you're like, dang, why are these dogs so creepy? And, like, they, they're they just there to be, like, a cute little thing and be like, oh, like, girls are like, oh, I love the dog. But it's like, no, like. They're not relevant, but the cats are completely relevant. I think it's because the cats don't dance on their hind legs. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I have in my mind this comparison to Diamond Castle is because it has also two, like, female leads that are, like, equally of important, and then two male leads, and one has blonde hair and one has brunette hair, and in my mind, I'm like, yeah, that's, like, they're equivalent films. <laughs> like, but they're not, they're very different. But anyways... Yeah, it's 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 good. The cats too, because like, because without Wolfie, you wouldn't get one of our favorite songs from the entire like movie. Cats meow, man. Oh wow! I almost went the whole podcast without mentioning this. It's my pet peeve. Okay, so in the song, uh, the cats meow. They say, um, she goes, "Hey feline, you fetch just fine." To thine own self be true. Your bark wows the cats meow. It's how I know you're you. Okay, so to anyone who doesn't know, and even the people who do, so thine own self be true is a quote from Hamlet. It is spoken by Polonius, a kind of, um, you know, classic Shakespearean conniving uh, advisor character who's like corrupting people's minds. Um, And he's basically saying, if you want to do it, then just go ahead and do it. Um, Do whatever you think is best for you uh, at the expense of other people. And of course, a lot of people in Hamlet die and end up very sad. So uh, clearly, this is not a good way to live your life. And in so many forms of media, they use this quote. It's like an inspiration. Like, look inside yourself. To thine own self be true. But in context, it's like he's a villain. He's a bad guy. So uh, do not to thine own self be true. You know, listen to and respect others. You know, be yourself, um, but not in the way that Polonius was in Hamlet. But anyways, I I digress. So take that, Erica. Know your Shakespeare in context before you start singing it to your cat who likes to bark. 
you know, I mean, she's probably not very educated as she is. Oh, acknowledge of a Hamlet quote, but not educated enough to know its context. Well, that's like the basic one, right? This is the one that people put on their like, I mean, the are not for the, the, the one that's like, though she be but little, she be strong. <laughs> though she be but little, she is fierce, right? From a yeah, that from was stream. So people like to put that on their, on their walls or whatever. Um, anyways, aggression. there's so much to, left unsaid, but we have so. to end this at some point. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be a long episode. I think we've been recording for like an hour now. Okay. Good. Yeah, the bloopers are a nice addition. Oh, yes. This is the first say. appearance of the bloopers, which we will come to love. I think they really perfect them in Magic of Pegasus, um, but they're definitely <laughs> a lot of fun. With the, when the troll guy is doing his, like, bloopers and Ollie, the troll, he's, like, looking through his glasses. I mean, come on, that's classic. You can't be beat. If you enjoyed this episode of Girls Like You, make sure to follow us on your choice of podcast hosting platforms or on our Anchor.fm page. You can also subscribe, and we'll get that Preminger art of Gelsey out to you, lickety split. For any questions, comments, or Barbie movie insights you think we should cover or should have covered in this or any other episode email us at girls like you pod pod at gmail.com or leave us a voice message on our anchor.fm page remember not an indentured servant yeah at least you're not an indentured servant also <laughs> don't be true to thine self polonius is a bad dude i found this one picture um it's, it's like discussing a Barbie movie in 2004 and it's like a bunch of toddlers sitting around the table and then discussing a Barbie movie in 2020 and it's a picture of people at the UN like sitting at this giant conference table. Yeah, because I feel like we're being called out.